Our epistle lesson this morning is, uh, comes from Colossians chapter 1, reading verses 11 through 14. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we come and we confess that we're needy people. We need you to come and speak with us. We need you to come and teach us. Father, send your spirit, send your power. Come enlighten our minds, open our hearts, open our ears that we might hear you, that we might love you, that we might obey you more today than we did the day before. In Christ's name that we pray, amen. Uh, as, as Chuck mentioned, um, I w- was an intern here before, and then I moved uh, to work with college students at the University of South Florida. And uh, one of the things that I've learned in my time working with college students at the University of South Florida is that preaching is a dangerous thing. Preaching and theology and all this is a very dangerous thing. It's dangerous um, because sometimes you can, you, we can be using words Um, to describe God, but we have different definitions of what those words mean. So there are times, one of the the scariest things that happens to me in a meeting with a student is they will say, I just loved your sermon last week. Because I always need to follow up and say, well, what did you like about it? And about 50% of the time, what happens is they say, well, I just loved this. And I'll say, well, that's not what I meant at all. (laughs) That's actually somewhat the opposite of what I was trying to say. I thought I was being clear, but I wasn't. One of the things I've discovered is that the complication often arises from a complication about language. That we don't, we can say things that sound very biblical, but we don't have the content of the Bible behind them. So a great example, God is love. We say God is love on a college campus. Love on a college campus means the freedom to do whatever I want. You giving me the freedom to be and do whatever I want to do that makes me happy. But that is not the biblical definition of love. And so when I say God is love, people come to um, that definition with a lot of preconceived notions, a lot of ideas of what God is actually like, what, what love actually means. And part of the hard work is telling them what love actually is. And today as we come to Colossians, one of the things that you can see as we approach chapter 11 is we have one of those words. We have one of those same words that comes up, power. Paul's prayer for the Colossians is that they would be strengthened with all power. Be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. And who among us today would not say that we want more of God's power in our life? Who would say, I don't need any more of God's power, I think I'm good for today? No, I think every single one of us would say, I need more of God's power in my life. But the the scary thing... The difficult thing is we could be praying for power but not understand what power actually is. Not allow the Bible to inform us, not allow the gospel to shape what power actually looks like. And so as we consider this morning, I want you to look at Colossians uh, 1, 11 through 14. I want us to look at three things about power and what power actually is. What does it look like to have cross-shaped power? Consider the source of power, the result of power, and how you get power. Source, result, and how you get it. 
The source of power, we can look at verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Paul says right off the bat, one thing that you need to know before we start anything is that power is not found in any other place but in God. That if you want power in your life, if you want um, this kind of energy, this kind of thing that will life-transforming power, you need to look for God. He's the source of all power, and he distributes it as he wills. Notice Paul says, all power according to his glorious might. All power belongs to God, and it is his power, and he distributes it as he wills. And this is a challenge to us in two ways. It's a challenge to us. First, it challenges our autonomy. Here's what I think happens in practice. In practice. Now, if I gave you a theology test, you would all get the test right. Yes, although we know uh, all power belongs to God. Yes, A plus, good job class, let's go to lunch. Amen. But in practice, what I think happens is that we actually believe that power is something we must find for ourselves, that we must look into ourselves to find for ourselves. One of the things that I've noticed, all my sermon illustrations are going to be about college students, because college students are nothing but more honest, little yous. Like, they haven't gotten very good at hiding things yet, which is one of the great things. You all are more adept at that, just FYI. Chuck's got a much harder job than I do. Um, Chuck nodded vigorously, I think. But one of the things that I've noticed about college students, one of the biggest obstacles for them to come to faith is this. They always say, I just can't be dependent on someone else. You would have thought maybe it's sexuality, maybe it's evolution, maybe it's science, maybe it's all sorts of things that you would have to give up to come to Jesus. But very often, students that come to RUF, and I follow up with them who are non-Christians, I say, you know, where are you with this? They say, well, the hardest thing for me is the idea of being dependent on someone else. The idea that I can't find dependency in myself, the idea that I'm not the source for myself, that I could trust myself to someone else. And I think this is pretty reasonable, um, a pretty uh, common occurrence for both college students and for people like us. Um, most of us, um, or at least college students and most of the people in this room, are probably pretty highly competent people. You're highly competent people. And you struggle with this idea of God's power being the only source of power because for most of your life, if you just worked a little harder, if you just had another cup of coffee, just one more sleepless night, one more night at the office, a little bit more time, a little bit more energy, a little bit more effort, things tended to work out okay for you. If you just plowed forward a little bit harder, things would work out. And if I ever needed help, that was a sign of weakness. It was a sign of not being enough. But friends, that's not what the Bible says power is. Friends, the Bible does not say that power is being self-sufficient. The Bible does not say that power is doing it all on your own. Consider what Jesus says in John chapter 5. Jesus, the most powerful human being who ever lived. Consider this. He said, truly, truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself unless he sees the Father doing it. Whatever the, son do, whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Friends, according to Jesus, the most powerful person who ever lived, a man that raised the dead, a man that healed the sick, 
a man that walked on water, he says this, power is found and it received from the Father in yielding to him, in trusting yourself to him, in being dependent on someone else. Friends, true power is a dependent power. It's a power that's dependent on God. Let me ask you, do you have that view of power this morning? Or is power all about being self-sufficient? Is power all about doing it all yourself? Is power all about you being able to do whatever you want? Or does power look like being dependent upon God? That's what true power is. I was listening to a missionary one time. And he had been a missionary in Peru for a long time. And he came back to the United States and said, man, wasn't it hard being a missionary in Peru? He worked with um, indigenous peoples and underprivileged peoples. And so he was not living a lavish lifestyle. And they asked him, you know, wasn't it hard to be there? He said, no, it was the easiest thing I've ever done. It's the easiest thing I've ever done. And they said, why? He said, because if Jesus didn't feed me that day, I wasn't going to get fed. And if Jesus didn't protect me that day, I wasn't going to be protected. And if Jesus didn't house me that day, I wasn't going to be housed. And he said, then I came back to the United States, and it was hard. Because everywhere I looked, there was something screaming, find your security here. If you just do this, everything will be okay. Just lock in your mortgage rate at a good price, and then everything will be fine. Just get the right person in the White House. Just do this. Just make the right friends, the right connections, the right college degree, the right advanced degree, and then everything will be okay. And friends, it is a lie, but it is a powerful one that exists in our society that you can be the master of your own universe, and if you just make the right choices, and if you just do all things the right way, everything will be good. And it is a lie. This definition of power challenges us that power is not found in the here and now, but it is found in God the Father who cares for us. Second thing this challenges, it challenges our view of God. One of the things that's interesting is you study the ancient world and the views of, of God and the religion that Christianity emerged out of. One of the most common views was a view that um, God the gods had created the world and the God had created the world out of violence. That there was a war between two warring gods. One god had slayed the other god, used the dead body of that god to make the world, and then it kind of found themselves in a little bit of trouble because now they had this whole world they had to tend to. And so what they did is they made human beings, and human beings were made to be slaves to the god so that way the god didn't have to do any of the work. That's a very common view in the ancient world. And in that view, life really is a struggle for power and for liberation. Life is a struggle against God for power and liberation. It is a zero-sum game. It really is something that you have to struggle against. God is something to be resisted or at least appeased so that you can get out from under his thumb. And it's easy to think and look back and go, oh my gosh, how primitive was that? Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe people believed that at one time. But I've, the longer I'm around and the longer I'm in this and the longer I examine my own heart, the more I realize that we treat God like that all the time. We treat God like that all the time. We view power as a finite resource that we have to strive for because nobody is going to look out for you. And if you don't have it, someone else is, and they're going to destroy you. Instead of seeing power as a gift of God that he distributes graciously to his children... Friends, God does not hoard power. God is not a tyrant 
who hoards power to himself. No, he is a secure, loving father who is willing to give to you if you would ask him. He does not hoard for himself. He doesn't look at you or I and taking power from him as a threat, but actually as a gift that he wants to give to us. That's what encourages Paul to say, may you be strengthened with all power. He can pray this confidently because he knows the God in whom he believes. I love in, um, in 2 Timothy, Paul, he's talking about his sufferings. And he says, but Timothy, I know in whom I have believed, and he is able, and he will keep me. Friends, do you know in whom you have believed? You have believed in this God, and this God loves you. Hear what he says in James 1. Do any of you lack wisdom? Let him ask God. Do any of you lack wisdom? Go get a higher education. Go get a graduate degree. Go read a bunch of books. No, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Ask of God, and he will give to you. I love one of the prayers that we pray in this church. It comes from the Book of Common Prayer. Lord, you are always more willing to hear than we are to pray. One other commentator I was reading this week said, the Lord is always more eager to forgive than we are to ask for forgiveness. Friends, the Lord is always more eager to give to you than you are to ask from him. That's the type of God that he is. That is what he's up to. Hear what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or which of he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Friends, your God is a good God. Ask of him. Call upon me and I will answer you. That is his promise to you. Call upon him, and, and he will respond to you, and he will give you power. He will give you that power. That he is the source of all power. Call on him, and you will find him gentle and lowly of heart. Call on him. That's the source of power. Second, the result of power. I feel like I have about six points in here, but I'm going to try to keep it short. The result of power, basically two elements, all endurance and patience with joy in verse 11. I pray that you'd be strengthened with all power for all endurance and patience with joy. Here's what Paul says. This is the Rocky World. Paul says, one of the results of God's power in your life is your ability to endure suffering. Your ability to endure suffering. Wait a minute, Paul. I thought we were talking about power. I thought we were talking about life transformation. I thought we were talking about something that would enable me to live the life that's powerful. And we are talking about power, but not that kind of power. We're talking about cross-shaped power. While we think, isn't power supposed to take away my suffering? Paul says, no. Power is supposed to enable you to endure suffering, to go through it to walk through it with strength and with joy. This is Christ's kingdom, friends. This is God's kingdom. We worship a crucified Savior, a God who is revealed in dying on the cross. This is what you signed up for, I'm sorry to tell you. That when you signed up for God's power, you signed up for cruciform power, for cross-shaped power. You would have never looked at Jesus on the cross and thought, man, that guy is going places. Like, whatever that guy has, I'll take some of that. Like, whatever program he's on, I would love to be part of that. And yet, 
You would have never looked at Jesus and thought, man, that guy is powerful. Whatever he's got going is going well. And yet it was. It was the most powerful thing that ever happened. It was life transformation. It was death-defying power. Why? Because Jesus endured the cross. He suffered and it was power. And the tragedy of our fallenness is that our definitions, our worldview, and our very grasp of reality has been broken by sin. And so we look at Jesus on the cross like the crowds. They mocked and they jeered and they said, let, if he really is the son of God, let him come down from that cross. Show us that you really are the son of God. They could not see that he was showing them God. But this God is not revealed in mighty acts of power as we define them, but he's revealed in suffering in the cross. Friends, are you suffering this morning? If you are enduring suffering with patience, with endurance. You are an example to us all of Christ. That is his power at work in your life to bring you to himself. That is God's power. Do you, do you think of power like that? Is that how you conceive of power? I was talking to a student this week. I said they're very honest. One of my, she, uh, we were talking about prayer and she said, yeah, I normally just, uh, I decide what I want and then ask God to help me get that. Very honest. And so we began to talk about, do you think that's what prayer really is? Asking God for the things that you already want. Friends, that's not what prayer is. It's not what power is. Power is being shaped by this story and being able to suffer through it well. Suffer through the ups and downs and the difficulties of life. That is true power. It is the power that Jesus had that conquered death. And it is the power that will enable you to endure through this life. And it will not leave you in the grave either. Do you know how I know? Because it didn't leave Jesus in the grave either. And if it didn't leave Jesus in the grave, it won't leave you in the grave. This power is different than human power, but it is true power. True power that raises from the dead. A true power that brings death where, where life where there is death. True power. All endurance and patience with joy. Second thing, giving thanks to the Father. Giving thanks to the Father. Not only do you endure suffering, but you rejoice in the midst of suffering. Not only do you endure suffering, but you rejoice in the midst of suffering. How, how does that happen? How is it that you're able to rejoice in the midst of suffering? John preached on it last week. Be filled with the knowledge of God. See this story that God is writing. Know how it's going to end. Know God's good will for you in Jesus. Know what he's done to reconcile you. And if that thing begins to animate your whole life, if that thing begins to sink down deep into your heart, if that thing begins to animate everything that you are, that will enable you to go through this life with joy. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of trial, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of all the challenges of life, you will have joy because you will know in whom you have believed. You will know the power of God to bring you to that great day of salvation, that it is coming. Consider what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, the one who will bring power he says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. 
When the Holy Spirit shows up, he doesn't actually tell us anything new. He brings to remembrance the things that Jesus told us, the promises that he had for us, the good things that he promised us. That I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you might be also. That is the thing that you need to remember, and that is what it looks like. When God's power comes into your life, it looks like you rejoicing because you know how the story will end. One commentator, he says this, he says, there are Christians whose lives seem like Lent and never Easter. I realize, of course, that joy is not expressed in the same way at all times in life, especially at moments of great difficulty. Joy adapts and changes, but it always endures, even as a flicker of life born of our personal certainty that when everything is said and done, we are infinitely loved. Friends, that when everything is said and done, you are infinitely loved. Do you know that this morning? If you don't, ask the Father. Say, I need more of your power in my life. I need you to shape me. I need you to transform me. I need you to renew my mind that I might call to mind the great promises of Jesus for me. As the great hymn, John Newton's gets it right, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Friends, grace has brought you safe this far. Grace will lead you safely home. Ask the Father, and he will give you power. That's the result of power. Finally, really, and most briefly, how do you get this power? Looking at verse um, 14, or 12, excuse me. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of life. Notice what Paul does. He says, may you be strengthened with all power. He's praying for your future life. He's praying for what is going to happen in your future. May you be strengthened with all power. And he says, how are you going to get it? Through the Father who has qualified you. It's already done. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance. What does it mean to share in the inheritance? Simply means that all the promises of God, if you're in Jesus, are yes and amen to you. That the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that I will be your God and you will be my people. The promises of Israel that I will not abandon you. I will come to you. I will not leave you in exile, but I will come and bring you to that great day of salvation. Belong to you. You now share in the inheritance. That same God who promised Abraham, I will come to you and I will be your God and you will be my people, is the same God who comes to you and says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Friends, trust in him. Call on his name. Seek him. Cry out to him and say, Lord, I need more of you. I need more of you today. I need more of you. Call upon me and I will answer you. He is faithful and true. As the great theologian Whitney Houston once said, <laughs> just checking if you're awake out there, he may not come when you want him, but he'll be right there on time. Let's pray together. Jesus, we pray that you'd send your power. Lord, we live in a time of many dangers, toils, and snares. Lord, send us your cross-shaped power. Enable us to live this life with joy. Lord, strengthen our confidence to call upon you that you are a faithful and good God who loves and cares for us. 
Let us trust you this morning. Help us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.